there, true believers, and welcome to Simply Devotion, the podcast that is all about seeking Jesus on deeper theological levels, because He is worthy of all of our devotion. To another episode of Simply Devotion, where we are looking at the real world of Jesus, the historical world of Jesus, the culture of Jesus, and the very places that Jesus lived. Particularly in this segment, we're on part two of a mini sort of series in the middle of our season about Galilee, because one, Galilee is... Jonathan's favorite part of Jesus's history. So, and it doesn't hurt that most of Jesus' stories happen in Galilee. So it's easy to appease Jonathan. That's right. In fact, I'm actually kind of happy because one of the stories you want to cover in this part of our mini focus on Galilee is one of my favorite stories. So, I'm excited about it. It's a story that happens like literally on the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Um, it's kind of hard to talk about the region of Galilee and not talk about the Sea of Galilee itself. I mean, not only was the Sea of Galilee super important for the region, it was a source of water, it was a source of food, but it was also super important to how Jesus got around. Um, you know, Jesus could have walked right. around the, the, the sea, uh, but that would have taken longer. And so it's a good thing he had some buddies who were fishermen who had access to boats that could, uh, that could uh, take them on some shortcuts from the different places around the Sea of Galilee. So when Jesus needed an Uber, he called on Peter's boat. Is this what we're saying? That's exactly right. And when he needed to get away from some people because Jesus got tired. And there were times where Jesus just needed to get away. And the best way to get away from people is cutting across the lake. Because if people didn't have boats, they couldn't follow him. And so he had to cut across the lake to some other regions so that he could get some peace and quiet. Now, I know we talked about this, John, in a previous episode this season. Um, but some people may just be tuning in at this episode and finding out how amazing your insights on the Sea of Galilee are. But um, we said in a previous episode that the Sea of Galilee is a freshwater lake. Yes. So tell us some more about the sea itself so we can understand what this sea is and isn't and why it's important to this region and Jesus. So the Sea of Galilee 
uh, as we mentioned in a previous episode, is again in the northern part of Israel. Mm-hmm. And it is a large sea. I did some research on it. I didn't have this information when we did our episode on uh, on the geography of Jesus, but I looked up uh, some information and the Sea of Galilee at its longest part is uh, 10 miles and at its widest, it is eight miles. That's so big. This is, yeah, this is a very big, um, this is a very big body of water. There are islands much smaller than that. Yes, that's true. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And um, and it's fresh water because it's inland. And it is about 700 feet below sea level. So it's it's really a lake. Yes. But it's big enough that from the land, it looks like a sea. Right. It's 700 feet below sea level, which is indicating to me where this water is coming from, right? Yeah, exactly. So when when it rains, the water always finds the lowest point, right? So when when the land gets rained on, which didn't happen all the time, there was rainy season and there was dry season. And so during the rainy season, when it rained, the water would eventually make its way to the Sea of Galilee, um, at least up in the northern part right. of the region. Those, so, so the Sea of Galilee is at a lower level, and there's these mountains in the region. Yes, that's when around, it rained, the r- around the lake. And when it rains, they the water flash floods down. Right. Um, in in John, did I ever tell you I got caught in a flash flood over there? No, I don't think you told me this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we, you know. We'll have to find a way to work this into an episode, but I almost got drowned in a flash flood at Petra right before I got kidnapped by a Bedouin. This is a true story, by the way. I'm not making it up, but we won't oh. tell it in this episode. People will have to come back. We'll figure out where this fits in this season, but <laughs> all of that's true. And I, there are stories about this circulating every place, but... Yes, all of this is just to tell you that flash floods happen in this region, and that's how the water makes its way down to lakes and rivers. It comes off the mountains. It rarely rains, but when it rains, all the water gushes down the mountains. Yes, and it goes into this uh, Sea of Galilee. Now, when you you, um, stand... Uh, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee or you're on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, you can see that it is surrounded by mountains Um, because the Sea of Galilee is kind of like the bottom of a bowl. And so the mountains surround the Sea of Galilee and a lot of the cities were built up on the mountains and you have this bowl where all the water kind of falls into. And this bowl is about 700 feet below sea level. Um, Now this is important geography because it explains how a storm could just appear. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, sometimes when you read the Bible, 
And as you read the Bible, you're just like, well, couldn't they tell it was going to rain? Couldn't they tell it was going to be a storm? Like, why would you go out on the water when you see that it's cloudy or something, you know? Yeah, there was like no weather channel in Galilee. No, there was no weather channel, uh, unfortunately. Um, And the geography of the land made it very easy for a storm to just happen, just like out of nowhere. Right. And And the reason for that is because the Sea of Galilee is kind of like in this bowl, right? And you have the mountains that surround it. Because it's at a low elevation, right? the Sea of Galilee has kind of warm temperatures. Right. But when you have cold air coming over the mountains, right? and of course you have cooler air in higher elevations. Mm-hmm. So when you have cold air coming over the mountains, that cold air then drops into the bowl where the Sea of Galilee is, and it forces the warm air out. Right. And when you have this dynamic taking place, all of a sudden you got a storm. You got a yep. rush of wind and you've got a storm that just that's exactly that's exactly what happened to me in Pe- at Petra. And now I currently have to find a way to work this story into the season. But this was Petra's the same as the Sea of Galilee, but the other side right. of 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 the nation so it's the same kind of train even though it's not the sea of galilee but it was the exact same thing the storm was hiding behind the mountains and nobody saw it coming and out of no place we went from the most beautiful sunny day you could imagine to a downpour that included hail and rain and literally the steps leading up to the petra monastery turned into a rushing river where people were grabbing a hold of of trees and and hiding in caves to get away from incredible they they closed down the whole park wow so i totally get in this region and i'm just sharing that i'll tell that whole story because it's a fun story we'll find a place for it but but this region a storm can come out of no place and dominate because it's literally hiding behind the mountains. Yeah. And when it comes up over the mountains and the, the air temperature change, boom. Yep. You got a storm. And so in this story that we're looking at today in Mark chapter four, we have a storm. And so the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee and they're in a small boat. Now, a lot of times when you think of a fisherman's boat, at least in today's world, in today's age, you know, you don't think of a necessarily a large boat, but you don't think of a small boat either. Today's fishermen, you know, they have a pretty decent sized boat. You can fit several people on that boat. There's places to hide below deck, things like that. But the boats that Jesus was in, the boats that fishermen used in Jesus's time, were pretty small boats considering. I mean, they were about, actually, I don't know if uh, you went into the museum while you were in Galilee, but yes, they have 
on display what is called the Jesus boat. You just call it the Jesus boat because they dated it to the first century. So this boat would have been in existence at the time that Jesus was right here. Not the literal boat of Jesus, but they call it the boat of Jesus because it dates to the time of Jesus and is exactly the style of boat the shape of boat and the size of a boat that would have existed and that the fishermen would have used in Jesus' day. And there will be pictures in the show notes of the Jesus boat. Yes. And when you look, something that you can't quite tell from pictures, but but you can kind of start to picture in your mind, is that this boat was at most 30 feet long. Mm -hmm. It's like a giant canoe. It's like, yes, that's what it is. It's 30 feet long and about eight feet wide. Right. It's like a rowboat. Yeah, it's it's a long rowboat and it was probably about five feet deep. Right. So there's no. Yeah, there's no below deck. Right. There's no, you know, it's exactly as you said, it's a big canoe. Mm -hmm. And, And that's what people use to fit. And that's what Jesus was sleeping in. So imagine, Jesus is getting away from the crowds. He needs some time. He finds literally a corner in this boat to sleep on. Mm -hmm. And they're just trying to make their way across the lake. And all of a sudden, you got this storm that just appears. Boom. Right. And having been on a boat in that lake, which I think you said you were too, Mm-hmm. then you know that that lake is big enough. And we talked about how large the lake was that once you're out, not even all the way to the middle, but just out a little bit, it is like you're on the ocean. You cannot see land from, you know, even halfway to the middle of the lake. Right. Yeah. And, and so you're, it feels like you're in the middle of the ocean, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. there's so much water just surrounding you. Mm-hmm. And you're in this little tiny boat. And it's deep? Yes. At its deep deepest, water. at its deepest, it's 200 feet. Mm-hmm. That's deep. This is a deep lake. For a lake, that's, that's super deep. Yes. And so it's not hard to understand why the disciples started freaking out. Mm-hmm. Because, because I was on a big boat that was motor powered and I was keeping my open my eyes open for storms because I know the storm. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. So so it's not hard to understand how these guys got freaked out. Now, you know, some people are like, well, they're fishermen. Why are they? Because they're in a small little boat and literally the waves are it wouldn't take much to sink this thing. No way, man. That thing going to go down like. And so you have you have this contrast between the disciples literally freaking out, thinking that they're going to die. And Jesus is sleeping again. There's no below deck. Jesus is just sleeping on the boat. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, you know, there's no below deck. There's no right, door right. to close. He's not there's in the nothing. captain's cabin. Yeah, there's, it's just, he's there with the disciples while this is happening, and he's fast asleep. Based on the size of the boat that I saw in the Galilee Museum, Mm -hmm. they're literally trying to save themselves from the storm and not step on Jesus at the same time. Right. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Because they're they're literally trying to prevent water from sinking that boat. Right. And Jesus is sleeping right there in the stern of the boat. Yeah. And what's interesting is how the Bible describes this storm. The original language, Lailaps Megale, which means, yeah, Lailaps Megale. That's the Greek, Lailaps Megale, which literally is translated as mega storm. So Megale is the Greek word where we get our word or our, our, yeah, our word mega, okay? Which means huge giant, big, potent, right? So the Bible describes this as a mega storm. It's not just a storm, it's a mega storm. And so finally, the disciples, they go to Jesus and they're like, uh, Jesus, don't you care? <laughs> like, sorry to interrupt your slumber, teacher. <laughs> don't you care? And, and, and Mark, He's the most blunt. He puts the most blunt words, okay? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Almost as if they're saying, Jesus, are you gonna pull your weight? Like, we're here trying to prevent ourselves from dying. <laughs> Can you just help us out a little bit? You're sleeping. It doesn't like literally say he's like on some cushion, like all comfy. Well, yes, there there is a cushion. <laughs> I don't know if he was super comfy, but yes, he was on a cushion. Uh, the Bible says that, that that's usually interesting. Fun fact: that cushion was usually there for people that were just kind of along for the ride and not supposed to be fishing. It's his Uber, man. Like yeah. they're supposed to be getting him to his destination. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're right. They're treating him. They're treating him very well. He is their teacher. He is their rabbi. He's like, here, have this cushion, you know, have a sleep. But when their life is in danger, they're like, Jesus, get to work. Like, no, don't it, you care? <laughs> We're gonna drown. So this, this, this isn't necessarily. Don't you care? We're gonna drown. Get up and do some miracle for us. Tr teleport us out of here. Do some of your, you know. Uh, hocus pocus holy spirit juju stuff for us this is more like get up and help bail us out yeah i mean that's that's how i read it and i think that's the way it makes the most sense i don't think and again because of the reaction of the disciples at the end of the story i don't think they they expected jesus to do what he did right they're just saying help us out here bro like yeah like the more people we have keeping water out of this boat, the better. Right. So Jesus wakes up. I don't know. I would have loved to have been there just to see Jesus's look on his face and, and just to kind of gauge what, like, did he take his time, you know, getting up? Did he get up quick? Like, I don't know. It just, these are details that we're not given. We don't know. But he stands up and he speaks to the storm. He speaks to the mega storm. And it's a, and he, all he says is, quiet, be still. 
I mean, this is what I say to my kids. You know, this is what I say to my dog when somebody rings the doorbell. Because I expect them to at least understand and, and do what I what I want them to do. And Jesus is talking to the storm. Like, are you serious? Who can control a storm with their words? And, and you know, just to clarify for maybe some of our conservative listeners, Jesus is rebuking the mega storm, not the mega church. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's rebuking the mega storm. Right. right. And of you course, might, yeah. you know, again, if we put ourselves in that story, it's like, how does that make sense? Mm. How do you just talk to a storm? You don't control a storm just mm. by talking to it. That's not how it works. So, you know, I'm a Florida man and we know about deadly weather. And when a hurricane comes into town, mm-hmm. and by the way, the Greek word that's used to describe this storm, laylaps, me could be translated as hurricane. That is a possible translation of this word. So this is a big deal. So, yeah, there is no way that you could speak to this storm and expect it to do something. Like, that's me, like, standing in my yard telling a hurricane to go away. It doesn't make sense. But it does make sense if you're God. And what we see here are echoes to the Old Testament. Psalm 89, verse 9. It's a psalm about God and all the wonderful things that God is able to do. And it says, you roll over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. So this is something that's happening in it's actually showing flashes of divinity of Jesus. Exactly. And even more specifically in Psalm 107, verses 28 and 29, it's almost like it's describing what's happening. Because in Psalm 107, it says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, which is exactly Mm -hmm. what the disciples are doing right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then it says, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. Wow. Waves of the seas were hushed. That is like only retrospectively a messianic sign. It, it is. It absolutely is. And so when these disciples see this, what should have come to mind if they would have done well in debate safer. Mm-hmm. What should have come to mind were these Psalms. Right, right, right. And and they're David Psalms. So like, yeah, they may still be singing these in synagogue. Yeah, you're right. These are these are definitely things that they would have memorized in Beit Safer and they would have repeated in the readings at synagogue. You're absolutely right. And so these are are words that should have come to mind. It's like your hymn book opening up and being like happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely yeah, exactly. It's I like mean, it's not it's, it's not a video for for children's story. It's literally happening. It really is. It really is. And I think 
I think the disciples started to see get that. a clue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because okay. this ain't normal. Yeah, they started to get a. They're just like, mm, there's something, there's something here, right? Like, right. what this guy did mm. is not something that a normal person can do. And they should have started getting the idea that Jesus is not just a rabbi. Jesus is not just a teacher. Jesus is Yahweh, the right. same Yahweh of these Psalms. Right, because often people confuse the term Messiah in Son of God or Messiah in Son of Man, right? Mm-hmm. Messiah just means anointed one. It means king. Mm-hmm. But to be the Son of God or the Son of Man, the Son of Man is an Old Testament term for the Son of God taken from the prophet Daniel. Um. To be the son of God requires divinity because Jesus isn't just Messiah. He's Messiah who is the son of God. He's the, there have been other kings, other anointed kings, even other good, godly anointed kings. Jesus is more than a good, godly anointed king. Jesus is not just like David plus. Mm. Right? He Jesus is not just the upgrade, David 2.0. Mm. Right? Jesus is in the position of David, but also God. Mm. And so it's kind of like really cool in an ironic, geeky, Bible-y way that David's words, an anointed king's words, an anointed king of Judah's words. Mm-hmm are flashing the memory in the disciples to tell them this is more than an anointed king. This is God himself. Exactly. Exactly. And so they ask themselves, they're just like, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I don't know if they understood in that moment that Jesus was the son of God, Mm. Yahweh in the flesh, Mm -hmm. but it's hard to be a Jewish man in the first century to witness this and not at least have the thought cross your mind. Exactly, exactly. This is David. Yeah. This is David's words being fulfilled on the canvas, not of parchment, but of life. Yes. It's a great story. Yes, it is a great story. It's actually one of my favorite stories. By the end of all of this, we have a calm sea again. And the Bible uses the same word that it used about the storm. It uses mega, right? And it call it describes the calm as galene megale, mega calm. So first we have mega storm. Yes. And now we have mega calm. So that, how do you have a mega calm? It's like 
more calm than calm? Like it's massively more calm than calm? It's like big time calm? <laughs> What's this mean? It, it, I think it's supposed to be a, a literary description to contrast, right? The, the intensity of the storm mm. with the results of Jesus speaking to that storm. And so we have a mega storm and we have a mega calm. And what's in the middle of these two is Jesus. He's the difference maker. He is able to take a mega storm and turn it into a mega calm, peace, serenity. That's the power of Jesus. That's the power of the Yahweh of the Old Testament. Right. And the disciples get that glimpse. Of course, they're still on the Sea of Galilee and they sail to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible tells us that they get to the region of the uh, Gerasenes. Gerasenes in Decapolis. Yes, in the Decapolis. Um, Which was in our episode. We talked about the Decapolis in it being heavily uh, Gentile populated, right? We talked about that in the episode about the geography. Yes, that's exactly correct, right? So Jesus goes from being around a lot of Jews, and then he ends up in a region that is primarily Gentile. Mm. And so Jewish influence was at a minimum in this place. And this is all happening same day. Like this is the storm happens. And by the way, the Bible tells us that when Jesus was on the lake, it was towards evening. So by now it's probably nighttime. And he hits the, the region of the Gerasenes. And the way Mark describes it is he's trying to paint a picture that this is an unclean place, an unclean area. Hmm at least from the perspective of a Jewish person. Right, right. right. Because Mark says that they encounter a man with unclean spirits, a demon-possessed man, and he is living among tombs. Right, right. Which were unclean by virtue of the fact that there was dead bodies there. Ceremonially unclean according to the Jewish Torah. Right. And... Uh, these unclean spirits are ultimately sent to unclean animals, right? Which are the pigs. And of course, this whole reason region is full of Gentiles, which are considered unclean. Unclean. So you have an unclean region with an unclean man hanging out in unclean tombs surrounded by pigs. Right. And so Jesus comes face to face with a demon-possessed man. Now, we got to talk a little scary, bit. This is getting scary, man. This is getting scary. Yeah, it, this is getting real they, now. Yeah, maybe this should be the Halloween episode. So we have to talk a little bit about demon possession and the ministry of Jesus before we move further in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, because the synoptic gospels mention Jesus casting out demons quite a bit as a way to establish Jesus's messiahship. The disciples get a glimpse of Jesus calming the storm and they get a glimpse of Jesus's godship. 
but here we have a glimpse of of Jesus casting out demons, which is a way that the synoptic gospels establish Jesus's messiahship. And so demon possession appears a lot, seven times in the book of Matthew, four times in the book of Mark, five times in the book of Luke. Uh, demon possession is, appears a lot. And Jesus is casting out a lot of demons in his time. Actually hmm. describes, you know, seven demons coming out of one person. Right. And so a lot of times, uh, people look at this and they may think to themselves, well, you know, they're just using the word demon possession to describe a sickness or, you know, epilepsy like or mental illness. Yes, exactly. But the gospel writers actually make a distinction between those who were sick and those who were demon possessed. Excellent point. Uh, Matthew 4 24 right it says news about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases mm. those suffering severe pain which is a different category than the demon possessed which right. is a different category than those having seizures which is right. a different category than those having paralyzed right so we have a description like that in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke. So all of the synoptic gospel writers are, are, are making it a point to differentiate demon possession from an, a different type of sickness or a different right. type of illness. And, and it shows that they know the difference. They they know they know the difference and they know that we could confuse it if they didn't spell it out. Right. So what we're seeing here is not superstition, which is right. what a lot of people who read this text might think, well, they're just being superstitious. They're attributing demonic activity to something that has a perfectly natural explanation. But they make a clear distinction between just being sick and being demon possessed. And so um, when, we when we think about Jesus encountering the demon possessed person, we have to think of it as Jesus literally coming face to face with the forces of darkness that exist in this world. Hmm. So Jesus crosses to the other side and he comes face to face with this demon possessed man. Right. Now this story is very much connected to the story of the calming of the storm. Because in the previous story, Jesus calms the storm, which is an uncontrollable natural force. It's the weather. You can't control it. Right. And Jesus controls it. But in this story, Jesus encounters another uncontrollable force. And the reason we know that this is an uncontrollable source is because Mark took the time to describe to us that, that this demon-possessed man was an uncontrollable person. Mark chapter hmm. uh, 5, verses 3 and 4, it says that this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not right. even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. So by the time we get to this point in the story, we know that Jesus is able to control a storm. 
but, but the question he, here, right, right. The question here is, will he be able to control the demoniac? Right. So he's got control over nature. Yes. But does he have control over demons? Exactly. Which is kind of like interesting because the Apostle Paul says that the devil is the prince of the air. Hmm. Yes, you're you're right. Um, and so there there are references to Satan being able to control the forces of nature in the book of Job, right? We have right. Satan sending that whirlwind, right? Um, that destroyed and took the life of Job's children. Um, so we do have descriptions of, of the devil being able to control the weather to a certain extent. Um, so anyway, so Jesus comes face to face with this demoniac. And the question is, can he control this demon possessed man in the same way that he controlled the storm? And so the Bible tells us that when Jesus sees this man, he's in desperate need of help. Jesus tells the demon to leave the man, but the demon responds to Jesus. So, so before you go there, though, so yeah. I'm, I'm just tracking in my mind. You have the disciples on the boat with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And some sort of unnatural thing is happening with the weather. And their life is in danger. And they need Jesus to intervene to save them. Yes. And the parallel to that is in this story. We have a demon-possessed man who is just as helpless mm. as Jesus' disciples. Yes. Who is being tortured by another powerful entity, right? So even to further differentiate, you have Jewish disciples who are in the need of the help of Jesus and will perish without him. And now you have Greek Gentile demon-possessed man who cannot help himself from whatever is upon him who needs Jesus to save him from this unnatural force yes. that will destroy him. Exactly. Exactly. This demon that has taken hold of him is not going to give up easily. And we understand that from the conversation that Jesus has with the demon. Because Jesus sees this man who needs his help, and Jesus commands that demon to leave the man. Mm -hmm. But the demon responds. And what's interesting about the way the demon responds is that he identifies Jesus by name. And in the ancient world, you would identify a spirit by name as a way of gaining control over it. So when the demon calls Jesus, Jesus, he is identifying Jesus as a way to try and gain control over Jesus. And he not only identifies Jesus by name, but he, he, he also identifies him by his relationship 
to God. Hmm. So he calls him Jesus, son of the most high God. Hmm. So we have Jesus's name and we have his identity. And so we have this demon that is reacting to Jesus. The way he reacts is, is meant to show that he's trying to gain control over Jesus. So Jesus is trying to gain control over this demon, but this demon is not going to give up easily. And he's trying to gain control over Jesus. And so now we have a showdown. We have a a pretty boisterous demon. Well, yes, he is. He, He has no shame. But yet, do you think that the forces of darkness are just going to give up easily? I don't know. The storm folded pretty easy. (laughs) The the storm did fold pretty easy, but this demon does not. Hmm. So he's more than natural. Right. He's uh, he's trying to go eye to eye with Jesus. He's like, he's like, you're trying to tell me to leave. Well, I know who you are. You're Jesus. Son of the Most High God, I'm going to try and take control of the situation. (laughs) This is terrible. It's like, I know who you are. I I know you're the son of God. I still think I can take you. Right. So now Jesus, he sees that this demon is going to go eye to eye with him. And so what does Jesus do? He asks the demon its name. So now Jesus is trying to get back some control. And so he asks the demon its name. And so the reader is reading this. And maybe even the disciples are looking at this and they're like, wait, wait, wait. If Jesus doesn't know his name, how is Jesus going to gain control over this demon? Like if he has to ask the demon its name, it doesn't seem as though Jesus is in control of the situation. Mm, Why does he know? Right. Why doesn't he know? And so the demon responds and he says, my name is Legion for we are many. Now, Legion is not a name. So the demon does not actually, yeah, it's a description. The demon does not give Jesus its name. He is refusing to give Jesus control. And by saying that his name is Legion, it's actually a power play. Right. Because he's- You're one, you're one, and we are many. Exactly. We, we we have crowdfunded this war against you. Right. Exactly. You're just one person, and now you're up against a legion. There's a legion of us. By the way, a legion is, is a description of a Roman army of at least 6,000 soldiers. Right. A legion is a... I was, I'm glad you brought it up. A legion is a literal... Roman army platoon, right? Like it's right. like, like it's a full fledged, like you're going to take, you can take over a whole country with it, right. <laughs> you, you know? So, so this is actually a threat. The, when Jesus asked the demon for his name, the demon is not folding. He's not giving Jesus name. He's saying, you're not going to take control of the situation. As a matter of fact, you don't have any idea what you're dealing with here because there's a lot of us. And if you think you're going to come into this area, into our land, into our region to take a hold of this guy that we have taken control of, you got something else coming. And so they try to intimidate Jesus by saying, 
there's a lot of us, dude. Are you sure you want this? I guess they don't remember what happened in Revelation 12. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so again, the demon is trying to stay in control of the situation. He does not give him his name. And he threatens Jesus with literally war by using war terminology, military Good terminology. Good point. Good point. Like we are an army. You know, it's just like this is like when when Loki's like, I am a god, and the Avengers are like, and we have a Hulk. Right. <laughs> right. And so any reader, or maybe even the disciples, as they're looking this uh, having this unfolding before their eyes, they're just like, Oh, they gotta be terrified. Yeah, Jesus does not have control of the situation. They have to be terrified. They're like, yeah, we kind of saw flashes of divinity. We remember David. But dude, let's get back to the boat. (laughs) Yes. Now, I think that there was probably a little bit more to the conversation than what Mark gives us. But ultimately, the demons realize that Jesus doesn't need to know their names to have control. Because then the demons start begging Jesus and saying, all right, all right, all right. Can you, you know, can you at least let us go over to these pigs? Oh, you big bad legion. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, so these guys are literally trying to go eye to eye with the son of God. And the way it is written, it it is a challenge to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the clencher is, even though it seems as though Jesus has no control, he actually does have full control. And, And just by being who he is, he is able to command this legion of demons to leave this man and to go to the pigs. And the Bible right. tells us there was 2,000 of them. And all 2,000 went crazy and threw themselves off a cliff and into the, into the sea. Poor piggies. Almost as if to say, what happened to these pigs is what these demons intended to happen to this man. Right. They're getting... This is what happens when dynamic powers take over lesser entities. Yeah. For whatever reason, they weren't able, they were close to driving this man to his death, but those pigs had no chance. Right. Maybe human beings who are created in God's image, maybe we have some chance of fighting, but those pigs had no chance. And ultimately, this man would have ended up just like one of those pigs, were it not for Jesus. And so, the story literally ends with Jesus not only having power over uncontrollable nature, but he also has power over uncontrollable demons. So, Vinny. Is there anything Jesus can't control? Yeah, it's uh, it's powerful. I see why we like stories from Galilee. Um, John, I remember before I was a Christian, 
Um, I was just uh, a kid in high school. The first time I ever heard the story about Jesus calming the storm. And um, I heard the story that you told today about Jesus calming the storm because I was a volunteer at a community center. Actually, I wasn't yet a volunteer at the community center. I was becoming one. And I had been invited to go down and interview to be a volunteer at this community center. And it was ran by a church. And the pastor wanted to observe me from another room to sort of see how I would interact with children. So he left me with a group of children. And I mean, I was, I was a, a mess. I was like 17. I had long hair and a leather jacket. And, you know, I came from a divorced family and a broken home. And I, and I went in and he's like, you know, I just want you to hang out with these kids. I got to go do a, a task. I didn't know he was just in the next room watching me. Um, and I was just like, dude, no, you can't leave me. Look at me. I'm a mess. Who leaves me with kids? You know, <laughs> just like, no, I'm not doing this. Like, he's like, no, no, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. Um, just, you know, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say to them. Like, cause I'm like this like 17 year old kid who wants to volunteer at this community center for extra school credit. Um, and <laughs> he's like, look, all they're doing is coloring a picture. And some of them can't write yet because this was a mixed kids age club, after school club. You just go around, help them color and, you know, help them fill in the blank on their picture. And so I go in, I didn't know this was like literally the interview, like they're watching me, right? Right. And just like, these kids are painting, they're coloring this picture and it's a boat and it's a storm. And the boat is like about to tip over. And like, there's this long haired dude standing up, lifting his hands to the storm, you know? And the caption reads, Jesus calms my storm when? And remember, I come from a lapsed Catholic background, agnostic parents. I knew about the existence of Jesus, but didn't know the stories because we never, you know, only if my grandmother took me to mass and you don't hear a lot of Bible at mass. <laughs> you know, I, I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know the story. And so I'm going around and I'm helping these kids and they're like, can you help me fill out my paper? And it's like, Jesus comes my storm wind. And the kids are like, you know, asking me to help them write things like when the police pick up dad and he doesn't come back home. Or when my mom has no lunch money for me to go to school. Um, or when I wake up because there's yelling in my house. And like, I don't know Jesus. I know of Jesus. I don't know these stories, but I know there are these stories. Hmm. And these kids, like many of these kids live right there in the community that I live in where the community center is. 
And these would be like kids I'd see playing in the street. These, maybe they live in my building, you know, but I know these kids. These kids know me, like not by name, but by recognition, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, if Jesus, if this Jesus, who I intellectually know of his existence, who I remember at Christmas time and Easter because I you know, we're a good lapsed Catholic family, right? <laughs> even even lapsed Catholics with agnostic dads still show up at family events for Christmas and Easter, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking, this Jesus, if he can fix the problems in these little children's lives. Maybe he also has the power to fix the problems of my life. Hmm. Maybe, maybe if he can love these kids who are just like me, who have just as we live in the same neighborhood, we have the same kind of family problems, we have the same kind of po- systemic poverty problems, you know, we have the same kind of parents struggling with the same issues. If he can love them, maybe. He can love me. That was the first time, John, I'd ever thought about Jesus since my childhood and my parents' divorce. And, you know, like just all the trauma I had in my childhood. I remember a couple times we'd walk by a Catholic church on my way to school and I'd think, Maybe we should go back to church, but here I was in this grace moment. Hmm. And these kids were telling me about this Jesus who calms the storm. I'll, I'll tell you what happened, John. After that, I went to a store and I asked them to give me a Bible, to sell me a Bible. I went to a bookstore and they're like, well, what version do you want? I'm like, I don't know, the holy one? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I know, but like an NIV or a King James like the New Testament. (laughs) (laughs) I think I left with the the living Bible paraphrase (laughs) because they're like, this kid isn't going to understand a thing unless we give him the easiest thing to read, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank God for paraphrases. Right. But I might not be a Christian today. I might never have had a desire to read the New Testament or the gospel today if on that little boat on the Sea of Galilee... Jesus didn't calm that storm and give that pastor an idea to teach those kids that story. For me to randomly walk in looking for high school credit and see that story and be inspired enough with hope to go buy a paraphrased version of the Bible. I guess that's the power of Galilee, John. And that's why we'll come back and let you talk about Galilee one more time. <laughs> yes, because the story actually continues. To be and continued. Maybe we'll get to hear about the um, the Bedouin and me getting caught in the flood in Petra. We'll see. Stay tuned. You have been listening to a podcast produced by simplyvinny.com. Stop by our website, read our blog, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and all that jazzy promotional stuff. But remember, 
I'm the podcaster that likes to remind you when life throws a monkey wrench at your head. Jesus is still the logo, the reason, the logic, the word that builds your life back all the way to the kingdom of God. Until next time, God will be blessing you. See you at the next podcast.